0: That old, familiar tune. It's old-timey. That welcoming audio sound that brings the vivid imagery of former podcasts back into your brain.
1: Given that the weather's so nice, it makes me want to sit outside with a lawn chair and sip a beverage with some grass clippings.
2: Yeah, I'm noticing, okay, so what you just said compared to what you just said... Yours was more like um, Steel who? Magnolias. Yours who? Um, Rebecca's Mine. comment was re- was Steel Magnolias. Yours was like some Sweet weird Magnolia. Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> iambic pentameter going on. And I'm like the old one of the old guys in the Muppets just watching you both critically right
0: now. So was that Steel Magnolias or was it Sweet Magnolias? Because apparently there's a new show on Netflix called Sweet Magnolias that I keep getting... Invites to watch, like notices that, hey, Adam, we think you'll like sweet magnolias. And I thought it was still magnolias until you guys so graciously um, showed me that I was wrong.
2: Yes. Um, so, pause. Let's get on to that. Everybody, this is the one in five. We are having a, uh, an exciting potpourri show today. What's another way to say that, you guys? I said potpourri, but there's got to be something.
1: Smorgasbord. Yes, yes. You were talking about the Muppets. It made me think of the Swedish chef. Oh, my goodness. Smorgasbord.
2: You know who I loved and I didn't get to see enough was Beaker. But now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's really. Beaker was, like, horribly, like, innocent and always – just kind of the butt of the joke. And all he could say was like, Mear! Or uh, Do you guys remember Beaker? I don't oh, yeah. remember Beaker. Yes. Oh, I he felt bad it. for him.
1: Yeah, I felt like he was a bit in an abusive relationship.
2: Yeah. Uh, now that I'm older, I look at that and I'm like, That's not okay, Beaker. I remember Animal. Oh, that Animal. The yeah. drummer, right? I he bet is. drummers everywhere hated Animal, especially jazz drummers. I remember Miss Piggy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the weird kind of love that she had with Kermit. That was just kind of a weird relationship there, not a healthy relationship. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is uh, just some fascinating different things that we're learning about maybe ourselves. We're seeing some new stuff happen um, in the world. We're reading uh, differently, uh, seeing things differently, and... um, we just kind of wanted to go around the room here. Um, I just want to say welcome. Uh, This is Abel Baker. I'm with Adam Renshaw. Hello. And Rebecca Mussiter. Hiya. And we uh, are here to talk a little bit about, Adam, you had brought, maybe we can start with you. You had brought up an article that that you had read and it was um, kind of how other things are going viral during the pandemic uh, yeah. time, and, and they were interesting things
0: uh, So I, I listened to a podcast, and I'm just going to call it out right now and, uh, and give credit where credit is due. Uh, it's called The World and Everything in It, <clears throat> and it's a news podcast. It's really good, and there's this guy on there named George Grant, and he does these these short little clips, uh, and it's called, they're called wordplay. And usually what he does is he takes a word – and he'll sort of explain where the word came from and then now how it's used in our, uh, our culture, our cult- cultural setting right now. Um, so, like, for example, one of the ones that he did was he took the word disease, which I thought was really apt because we're a health podcast as well. And he talked about where the word disease came from. And basically it came, it was two pieces put together, dis and ease. Um. When somebody didn't feel good, they were diseased. So, uh, but then it, how it has shifted? That word has shifted now to actually describe, you know, what we call viruses and and certain things that are way more than just being diseased.
2: Yeah, it's got like 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 almost more of a clinical definition now rather than a right.
0: Than Rather than just being ill at ease, right? Yeah. Um, so, but anyways, he just did this one recently uh, about the coronavirus and how the this pandemic has changed uh, our, our vocabulary. And we have all of these made up words now. And I just want to share a couple of them with you. Um, when talking in terms of our economic state now, the term is used corona session, um, as in recession, corona uh, and virus rese- and recession, yes, or coronageddon mm-hmm. when uh, describing.
1: So that would be like corona and.
0: Armageddon. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, depressorona. Oh. Uh, corona.
1: That sounds like a good pizza topping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, San
0: Francisco treat. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about Corona cooning? Corona cuffing? Coronials. So those who have been raised like millennials um, during the coronavirus pandemic. For, uh,
1: you know, for the last three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great.
0: <laughs> or I think of babies even being born during yeah, this time. Right? True. Those are coronials. Okay. A baby's born a a three babies month born <laughs> in that three-month uh, period. Yeah. In 2020. So, um, the skeptics and conspiracy theory folks are now disdained as COVID truthers or oh, yeah. trolls Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um,
1: I know my Halloween costume for this year.
0: They have been dismissed as being Wuhanified, or COVIDiots. Mm
2: -hmm. Whoa.
0: Yes, Um, and the the list just goes on. It was a very fascinating podcast, and George Grant just writes really well and then he reads his own stuff and so the the way he does it with his inflection is really great so I just wanted to share that I thought it was fun it was a fun way for me to look at what's going on in the world right now and get some sort of humor yeah yeah it. totally so but Rebecca we were also talking about how this has introduced some things into your life that uh, heretofore have not been there um you were trying to reconnect with some old friends and it came about through this fun circumstance which has also uh, caused you to to be able to uh to have a fun funner relationship with your daughter now so do you want to share a little bit about um Sure. What you've been doing?
1: Yeah, well, um, first off, I just want to say I hadn't heard any of those terms before, so that was educational. Either had I. Yeah. Educational, um, but I, I feel like so
0: we got to make them all a part of our.
1: Uh, probably like a, you know, even though they're not. Um, acronyms we should probably have like a special a
0: special episode where we're talking about guys I gotta say one more too sorry I know we we're just getting ready to talk about but those like conspiracy theory people who another way they describe is uh COVID 1984s mm, and interesting. I, know, I know you guys have read 1984 yeah. so
1: I have not. I read like the the poor man's nineteen eighty four. I can't remember what it's called.
0: Nineteen
1: eighty five. Nineteen eighty three. But it was yeah. about it was about a society where everyone had numbers for names and
2: Oh. Yeah. But I wanna hear the story because yeah. Adam uh and I both like really enjoyed what you said. And I think we can all identify with it.
1: Right. So I would say like a number of people I've I've talked to over the last few months, Um, COVID-19 and sheltering in place and quarantining have led to some really unexpected opportunities to connect more closely with people in my life. So, you know, 20 years ago, I lived with 10 of my closest friends for two years in college. And uh, we called ourselves Team Shirley because we lived in the Shirley apartment building (laughs) and we felt it was appropriate And this
0: was in Indiana, right?
1: uh, No, this was Pittsburgh. Oh. Pittsburgh at um, Carnegie Mellon University. And um, so they're pretty sharp cookies, my friends. And they all have interesting, uh, strange jobs, you know, 20 years down the road into their careers. Um, And when we were, you know, 18, we were all interested in playing Dungeons and Dragons. But... Carnegie Mellon University is a pretty um, academically stringent university and none of us had time to do it at that, you know, back then. Uh, So we reconnected on Google Hangouts, something we could have done before COVID-19, but didn't. Um, But since it became sort of like more of a thing in our culture to connect remotely, we decided to try it out. I mean, I was in tears talking to these guys because I haven't seen them in a couple of years and, you know, we pick up right where we left off and it feels like we're all young and... You know, naive and innocent again and um, 18 and just great to hear, you know, how many more kids there are, marriages, um, you know, romantic connections, like new jobs, new promotions, all that kind of stuff. It's just great to hear what's going on in their life. Anyways, I have a friend who's legitimately a rocket scientist um, (laughs) and he suggested that we uh, play Dungeons and Dragons online. Um,
2: I've often wondered what rocket scientists suggest or even do, but
0: that's yeah. for another conversation. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, in my conversations with him, it's like dungeons and dragons and then comments about his toddler. So that's awesome. That's my interpretation of what rocket science is. To get up to. <laughs> there you go. Um, so Perfect. I thought it would be great cause I didn't really ever have a chance to do it. So I ordered the book and, um, Started reading through this thing called the player's handbook.
0: Okay, thank you. Because you so, described it earlier, and I wanted you to... Yeah. And you described the barrier to you playing when you were 18, which was...
1: Yeah, it's an expensive book, and you have to go to a special shop. Now, as like a middle adult person, I can just, you know, Amazon.com that thing, and it comes right to my door. I'm,
0: I'm curious, sorry, if this is too much, but you didn't tell us how much it
1: costs. Forty dollars. Oh. On sale. It's $60. Can retail,
0: you kindle retail.
1: it? I bet you could, but, you know,
0: you need there's that something baby, about don't you? It's like yes. a big hardback yes. book.
1: It looks like a yes. textbook.
0: Highly referenced, I'm sure.
1: Lots yeah. of pictures, it's like having
0: a Bible in front of you, right? Yeah. Small
1: print. Um, and I started reading this player's handbook, and I guess I just never realized. You know, Dungeons & Dragons is the original RPG or role-playing yeah. game. So the idea is you're not really 100% satisfied with who you are in the real world. So you go buy this book and you read through everything and you create the fantasy version of yourself, like whoever, whatever you want to be, right? So as you said, I was a little bit of a realist. I wanted to be myself in a fantasy universe. And, you know, I have this background as an archaeologist. So in Dungeons and Dragons language, that would be a cleric who um, serves a god of weaponsmiths. And I okay. picked the god Hephaestus, who's after the Greek god. Okay. And I picked a, a half-elf, half-human character by the name of Naivara Amblecrown. Uh,
0: One more time.
1: Naivara Amblecrown. Nice. Mm. That's, a, that's an elf name and a human name. I found, you know, I picked all this up out of the book. And my thought was that in anthropology, you know, in the real world, anthropology is the study of human cultures. And I don't know if you could call elves humans in this. You know, it's like, I'm like, you know, I want to be a person who studies racial cultures. I don't know, because it's like the elfish race and the human yeah. race. So I thought half elf, half human, you could well, study them both.
0: In totally. F- in fantasy, aren't they totally like divided, like elves and dwarves and humans? Yeah, they're and called
1: peoples in the books.
0: Okay. okay. In the book. Yeah, because,
1: so, okay. I was taking a walk and talking. So, you know, in I'm creating this D&D character. It's a really fun way to reconnect with my college friends virtually on okay. this website, you know, where you can play Dungeons and Dragons online. Um, and I took a walk with my 12-year-old, and we were talking about what I was doing with my time. And I was like, oh, well, I'm creating this character, and I've, um, you know, uh, I, she's she's like an archeology span version of me. She's half elf. She's like this, she's like that. Um, But you know, in in Dungeons and Dragons, it's really critical that you have a backstory and then something happens to make you like a lone adventurer who meets up with other adventurers in a bar and you go off adventuring together, which is the campaign, that's the game. So I was like, I don't really know what my thing is. And she's like, oh yeah, you're like a Mulan person. Like you are a girl in a man's world and you got kicked out or they found out you were a girl and she's like, and she's got like short hair because she was pretending to be a guy all those years. And, and she just, you know, like it sparked her imagination. So she
0: was able to write the backstory for your, your character.
1: And you know, my 12 year old is like 100% cowgirl, you know, she doesn't really spend a lot of time imagining things because she's out on our ranch, riding horses, working with Mm -hmm. her dog, farming, um, you know, kind of just engaging with the real world in a way that I didn't when I was a kid and, you know, stuck in my fantasy world in books. So I didn't, I just never even realized what a vast imagination she had going. So I lent her the book, the handbook, um, while I was working and I said, you know, flip through this thing and um, see what you think. And, you know, in four hours, she'd created her own half dark elf, half human character with a backstory and, like, she'd drawn a picture of what, of what her character looked like and she's a rogue and I don't even know half the things that she said that she did because this book is vast. So there's all kinds of things that you can put in there, but you know, it created hours of opportunities for us to like, you know, engage with each other and explore her imagination. So that's something that I would have never done before COVID-19. So
2: that is awesome. I mean, you know, when, when you were telling us that before, you know, we kind of were, had another plan for what we wanted to talk about today, but um, that just kind of makes me so happy, you know, um, to, to because I'm seeing that happen in our home. I'm We're watching shows and movies together and we're sitting, I was playing pool with Jack last night. We're watching a show um, and all of us are commenting on it. And I'm just realizing that how thankful I was that we've been in the same house for, kind of what you would call maybe cloistered or just cooped up. And we've gotten closer
0: in some new ways. Um, yeah, we uh, we started, my brother's here. He came to visit us. It's been really cool having him here. And uh, he, we started watching The Last Dance. Oh, it's good. Have you guys seen that? Oh, it's such a, a leadership it's movie. A, it's about the, um, the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls second run at the three-peat so it takes place after they had won their fifth championship and they were getting ready to go into their se- into their the next season and uh three-peat for the second time and it starts with Michael and then it moves to Scotty and then it moves to Rodman and so uh and that's where we're at right now we're on the Rodman episode but uh man it's just been really cool and the other thing that I was going to say about it was that um my kids were able to sort of sit there a little bit. And that's not something that they got to live. You know, we li- we lived through that time. I remember that time. I remember I remember where I was when some of these games took place, you know. And so being able to, like, <laughs> my kid was like, we were like, yeah, it's about Michael Jordan. And he said... Uh, Liv said, "Who's Michael Jordan?" Oh, yeah, and Asher goes, "Oh, he's that guy that wrote the Wheel of Time series." <laughs> <laughs> that's so. Awesome. No, that's Robert Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jordan is a basketball. That's so awesome. So it's been cool for me to say, hey, "Listen, man, here is Michael Jordan, the you know arguably the greatest basketball player ever."
2: I mean, the year that was the year I graduated was '98. So I'm sitting there, and. Um, we were watching The Last Dance, and then um, I'm all done, and I'm going through movies, and we want to watch. I want to watch Demolition Man, and I want the kids to see it, and uh, they go, "Oh, Wesley Snipes looks like Dennis Rodman," <laughs> and I go, "No, actually, Dennis Rodman watched Demolition Man and wanted to look like That's Wesley exactly Snipes." Exactly, you're right. And I was like, we were like connecting. You know, with my past in this in this new way. But um, So
0: you've watched it all? You've
2: almost. I've got okay. nine and ten left. Okay. And those were the ones that just came out, what, Sunday? I think I can't remember. Yeah. But okay. the the okay. lessons on leadership in there are just unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it it's worth its weight in gold for nostalgic purposes, but you agreed there's there's deeper. I,
2: I wanted to to touch on the, the things that I have been interacting with lately. And, and one of them that I came across that I thought you guys would be interested in are these uh, three stages of pandemic response that I've I've come across. And uh, tell me if you can identify with them. The, if you could imagine it in concentric circles, the smallest circle in the middle, um, survival. Okay. And it's surrounded with, I'm worried about everything. I feel powerless and sad. I'm just trying to get through today. I'm angry with other people. I'm scared of the unknown and uncertainty. I'm unproductive and lethargic. I'm glued to the news and social media. And then right outside of that stage is the next one, acceptance. And it's surrounded with, I'm less stressed and sleeping better. I'm limiting my social media and news consumption. I'm savoring the little things. I'm learning to let go of what I can't control. I'm making a new routine. I'm valuing my time outdoors. I'm getting to grips with tech to see my loved ones online. And then the final one is this growth stage. And it's, um, I have confidence in my resilience and strength. Um, I'm looking ahead to how I want to live after this. I'm focusing on what's in my control. I'm feeling joy, I feel calmer. I'm appreciating what I'm gaining from this time at home. I live more in the present moment. I can be patient and kind with myself and others. I'm helping where I can. What do What do That's you guys think about that?
0: I feel like the three of us all, based on our conversations that we've had, we've all walked through each one of those.
1: I would ourselves. say I'm like, a, like that third stage for sure.
2: Do you yeah. think that there's any, any of those um, where you guys are finding – that you're trying to get into another stage, but you're just not quite there yet. I can say, like, um, I'm. What was it? The um, what's the third step called again? It's so it goes: survival, acceptance, acceptance growth. Growth. Okay. Um, I would say oh. I'm valuing my time outdoors. Um, because we haven't got outdoors yet. I I'm still like totally okay with being inside like i'm getting a lot of stuff done and i'm enjoying maybe i'm like a herding dog that herds but i'm enjoying my family all being in a space where i can just talk and
0: yeah i i feel like i'm right in between acceptance and growth okay sort of right yeah right in the middle of those um i the thing that stuck out to me when you were reading that was i related very specifically to um that part where you realized that you're on social media too much, like my social media consumption increased so much once COVID-19 started happening. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, me and my wife had a conversation where, um, I'm like, how'd you sleep last night? Well, I actually laid in bed for two hours after you fell asleep and I was scrolling through Facebook Mm -hmm. and freaking out. And I was like, okay. Um, I'm doing that too. It didn't cost me two hours of sleep last night, but I am on the same page as you. We need to do something about this. Yeah, I hear (laughs) you. So I totally related to that piece. Yeah.
1: I actually thought there were four stages. I think I'm right with you in between two and three. Um, That reminded me of a couple of things. First was, you know, when the stay-at-home orders were, you know, were increasing right at the beginning of this, as you know, like restriction after restriction was coming down... um, we uh, dried in um, Jessica's new house. You know, we went, we bought some lumber. We all got together. And, you know, like, because we live on some property, uh, sheltering in place kind of means a little bit different for us. We have a lot of space to roam around. And so, you know, it was, and it kind of felt like this thing where is it, like, is this okay to be doing this? And it felt like, you know, every piece of lumber we put up was sort of like a, Really um, intentional act of like trying to be present and outdoors. Yeah, we, we were all had a lot of fear. And the second thing I was thinking about was um, my rediscovering my love of reading books, like actual awesome. paper books. And that came from a request from my husband to put the screens away after a certain hour at night because he was worried about um, he was worried about me. He said that it, I was you know, I was getting those big bags under my eyes and just stressed, Yeah, stressed. Mm. So I forgot that I used to, uh, s- sleep in every Sunday and, um, get a cup of coffee and read a book in bed. Totally forgot that that was a thing I did every Sunday. And um,
2: you're starting to do that again.
1: So for the last two Sundays, I did that and I was like, is this okay? This is so nice. And like the rest of my day, I'm so relaxed and happy and
0: that's interesting that you bring that up because I just got finished um, listening to a podcast about ha- habits and uh, uh, reforming healthy habits that we've lost as a result of the the change in our lifestyle and our structure of how we've been living and how, how working from home or all of these different intrusions that have um, come into our lives have caused us to not do things the same way that we did? Like we were in a zone before this, right? I mean, I mean, just think of your normal work day and what you would do. You would get up and you would do this and you'd drink a cup of coffee and possibly go for a run or, you know, uh, people who live in bigger cities, you know, they would go to a gym and I mean, that's been disrupted at this point and now we're getting back to a place from what you were just saying is where you're rediscovering this healthy Part yes. of your life,
1: and you know, definitely something out of this whole thing is um, being a lot more intentional about um, self care.
2: Yeah, totally. I'm like, I'm writing a book. Like, I just never thought I would do that, and I'm in like, I don't know, chapter six or seven. And What's the book about it's Ruth. It's so so. I switched because my messages are. Um, I'm really into to historical narratives and things, and so um because my messages have to go up on the radio for my congregation, I'm literally finding out that I absolutely love writing like i go i write uh it's almost fifteen hours a week, and the research involved it's like this meditative you know quiet pouring through my library and um it hit I'm blown away. I didn't know that I could do this. And to be honest with you, I couldn't before. Things there's permissions now that we have culturally that are that are different and I'm accepting them. I'm like, "Hey, this is this is nice." Um things are slowing down. So on uh, they're slowing down in one sense, but I wanted to, to ask you guys um so when this first started, I mean, one of the one of the big things about being online with a podcast or uh, me in my situation pastorally where my messages are recorded or I'm interacting with the congregation, you know, I'm looking ahead from a leadership position and saying things at the beginning that turns out not to be true so far. And some could interpret them and say, oh, you know, you were way over the top. And I'm, I'm realizing that, um, I'm I'm really falling in love with people who are reasonable. And uh that article I was talking with you about, like I'm okay with having an opinion that turns out to be wrong if well I'm giving the opinion, I'm completely aware that I could be wrong. And that's a part of what it it's a value that I'm learning now that a reasonable conversation is here's what I think I have structure and reason, and and to to back it up. Um, And the article I read is that a reasonable argument has good structure. It's relevant, has relevance, acceptability, sufficiency, and it's in the, in the rebuttal, it's able to be rebutted and, you know, it's got this, it's got this flavor to it. And so I'm finding now that I'm more drawn to somebody who might have a theory or a thought or an idea who who is making a reasonable argument not just somebody who's like this is certainly the truth this is absolutely going to happen and and it's i'm finding i don't really want to read that stuff anymore. What about what about you guys so, with regards to articles and things like that? Yeah, I was
1: going to say, this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but could you give us like an example of something that was, an argument that's not reasonable, and an example of an argument yeah. that is?
2: I would say what I'm finding is a sense of unreasonableness about conspiracy theories. And when I say conspiracy theory, it's not that I don't entertain this idea that there could be a group influencing and, but I don't jump from a to, to B without like clear evidence and lots of work. I'm not going to jump to a conclusion. And so when I'm reading something that is reasonable, I feel like the person has, is capable of saying, here are my presuppositions. Here's, my agenda they 're very confident in them, and they 'd like to hear someone else's and so and then I want to defend why I want to talk about why I see it this way, but what I also want just as much is for somebody with the same ability to say back
0: that's ridiculous
2: <laughs> exactly right <laughs> because i because I work really I work really hard personally to be honest with myself sure. and say. Where did this person get this information? What what things do I think are true before I, I go to this? You know, how am I biased? And then I want to hear somebody give me a presentation from their bias. And then I want to grow from that interaction. And I think reasonable has that potential in it that, it, that you could be proven wrong. And I'm watching a lot of stuff that's masquerading as reasonable, but it's actually so extreme that there's it's just, it's like pulling the certainty card. Like, I know 100%, you know.
1: Yeah. You know, that makes me think of, um, you know, the content of peer-reviewed journals. So, you know, I have an academic background, and um, the research that, you know, that archaeologists do, the goal is to have it published in what's called a peer-reviewed journal, and that that means that before an article is published it's sent out to your peers so other professional archaeologists review what you've written and basically assess the reasonableness of your argument and the content of your there paper you before it's allowed to be published the downside is that that takes a lot of time but the plus side is that you know archaeology um, is a social science keyword science which means that archaeology follows the scientific method. Um, the key idea there being that you're testing a hypothesis yeah. and that your, your experiment can be replicated by others. That's right. Um, and so when you're reading a peer-reviewed archaeological journal, you know, archaeological article, wow, that's a tongue twister. Um, you know, the idea is that every statement they make has to be supported by another document yeah. So there's a lot of things that they call citations because they're citing other documents and they're also supposed to present a clearly defined hypothesis and then at the end they discuss the you know what possible meanings their results could have. So what do they think happened at that archaeological site based on all the evidence that they presented?
2: And so if I'm writing from a a perspective on like let's say Let's say for me, it's just an opinion article or or it's a devotional or something like that, where I'm trying to encourage somebody. Like what I want to do is publish it and then I want it to be reviewed openly because I'm not concerned if somebody's like, I think you're wrong. What I'm concerned about is somebody who's like, you're absolutely wrong because you're an idiot. Like that's the kind of squelching out that I'm that I'm really beginning to value now. Like I want higher quality interaction with people who disagree. And, and one of the things that I love is, uh, you, do you know what I mean by underdetermination? Like both people seem to be using the same data and, the, and their interpretations and the, their, through their method, they come co- with completely different outcomes. I love that, that mm-hmm. tension. I think it's humbling and exciting Um, But I'm finding that we live in a world that just really wants certainty and in certain places. And so when I'm reading about those things, I really enjoy somebody who's like, well, have you thought about it this way? And then I'm like, hmm. And then, you know, if that can work both ways. And it's weird because I'm finding that on Facebook. Like people will private message me and say, hey, I appreciate you bringing that up. Have you thought about this? But what's weird is it's not totally accepted yet in the public comments.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say there there are some Facebook groups out there that I think you know have that sort of measured dialogue. You know, the issue I find is that it's harder to, um, you know, it's not as clearly labeled anymore. You know, it used to be in a newspaper, you'd have the front page news, and then you'd have the op-ed page, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, and opinions and editorials. And it was clearly labeled. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which was which. And on the internet, it's less clearly labeled. You know, is this a peer-reviewed article? Is this an opinion piece?
2: Do you think what will come from this is more of a desire for reasonable or or that our dialogue would do you think we're going to learn how to be more responsible with social media or do you think it will just get worse what do you think
0: I think it depends on the person I mean the thing this is a tough subject for me to talk about because I have pretty strong opinions about um, social media and its role in places and it's where it needs to be left out Okay. In a lot of places and uh, I think one of the one of the hard things about social media and people being able to just sort of vomit on you when they mm-hmm. disagree with you is this lack of having to to look at somebody in their face and have an actual social interaction yeah um, and so it reduces the barriers uh, uh, in the in- inhibitions it, it it makes you more bold. To say things that you might not normally have said, and I think it increases the uh, possibility for people to to have those um, uneducated arguments and and just those puking on people with their first thing that comes to their mind, rather than being able. I mean, what you'd think is that when you're writing, I love, I love email, and I love text and talking to people for certain reasons, and I hate it for certain reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is because it actually gives me a chance to sit and think about what I'm putting down, Mm -hmm. the words that I'm putting down on a computer screen or on Mm -hmm. paper, and then change it if it's unreasonable or if it comes off as unreasonable or rude or mean. Um, and,
1: (laughs) you know, one strategy I like on, um, social media and even texting is, um, if I'm really upset about something someone said, I will type out the response that I really want to say in that moment (laughs) with the understanding that I'm not going to click send. I've
0: done the same thing.
1: And then go back a few hours later or the next day and say, did you really want to say that? And usually the answer is no. So you, you kind of get it out, but you don't have to like, you know, Hurt someone else's feelings. Yeah, but you can express your feelings in the moment to yourself and your.
2: Yeah, I think being reasonable is also making sure that if I'm against somebody's thoughts or ideas, that I'm not against them. That's been a big one. Like in this COVID, I'm trying really hard to say, "Listen, I like value you as a person. I'm just telling you that I disagree with your." thoughts and ideas and you know allowing those to be talked about um, and giving somebody permission to 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 say hey here are my thoughts and ideas I am not those things so you can you can talk about those those are those are things that are happening in my groups a little more and I love that that's COVID-19 whatever is happening in our culture that is something that I'm welcoming as, as, that's been really nice. As I've rekindled friendships with people and found out, oh, this person's very knowledgeable on this subject. And yeah, it's been fun. But that's, that's kind of where we're at, guys. We should, we're, we're at uh, 39 minutes and this has been totally awesome. Um, anything to say before we kind of close our episode today
0: down? One other thing that I've been able to do, and I just, I feel like we got kind of heavy there at the end, and so I just want to say this to maybe lighten it up a little bit. Um, I've discovered a game. It's (sighs) called Can Jam. Can Jam. So I'm not going to describe it here. Just go look it up.
1: K-A-N-J-A-M.
0: Are they gonna pay us for this ad?
2: That's no, sure they should, huh? I we nice. should totally Fingers, reach out.
1: Space Jam, because we were talking about Michael Jordan.
0: Totally wrong. Nope. No, it's like lawn clothes. darts with frisbees and one soccer. Again, no. But it does have to do with a frisbee and two buckets. So and teams of two. Nice. Tons of fun. It has been a great way to connect with People. Is there any Mad Max in it at all? Well, you could wear a, you could wear makeup or, you know, create explosions around it if you want. But oh, okay. S- specifically, no. I'm in. Put a bandana
1: yeah. on your dog. There
0: you go. Oh, okay. Go. Okay. Yeah. So go Cam check. Jam. Yeah, go check it out. It, uh, the reason why I bring it up is not as an advertisement for them, you guys, but as uh, an impetus to connect with people around you and have cool. some fun. Cool. So. Cool. Awesome. That's it. Okay. Well, that brings
2: us to the end. Sometimes I think we need like a Mr. Rogers song to close everything down with, you know. But goodbye, everybody. And thanks. Thanks again, Rebecca and Adam. This is awesome. Bye-bye. Stay
1: reasonable.